In this week's episode of the Scary Spirits Podcast, number 38, Werewolf in London, we find out there are many differences between 1931 and 2022. Fashion, rotary phones, and of course, movie special effects. But we also discover that at least one thing has not changed, not one bit, and that is the response you will get if you actually try to forbid your partner from doing something. Poor Dr. Glendon finds this out the hard way. Word to the wise, don't ever use the word forbid if you are hoping for a positive outcome. Cheers. Welcome to the Scary Spirits Podcast. Please be advised that the presenters may use adult language and or discuss adult situations. This podcast is not intended for younger listeners or those that may be easily offended. So, if you're ready, let's go. Hi, I'm Greg. Hey, I'm Karen. And welcome to the Scary Spirits Podcast. The podcast that combines the two very different but highly compatible worlds of scary films and alcoholic spirits. What could possibly go wrong, Karen? Indeed. That was different, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. How are you, Karen? Living the dream. How are you, Greg? I'm okay. Thanks for asking. Karen, I do need to start with a correction. Uh-oh. What did we do? previous episode, yes. In the Terror Train episode, which was the New Year's Eve episode, when we were making the drink, I said use like lime juice, but really it's Rose's sweetened lime juice, Karen. Oh, really? Yes, and it makes a huge difference. <laughs> Why did you try it? Yes. Yes, I did, Karen. Well, I didn't use that either. I just <laughs> used lime juice. Yes. But for the YouTube video for that episode, I am using the Rose's sweetened lime juice. And the Purple Hooter Shooter, it's much more enjoyable with that. So sorry if we led anyone astray. Well, you just get to try a new one. Yeah. Try it again. Try it this Come- time with Rose's sweetened lime juice. Compare and contrast and let us know. Yeah. Email us, info at scaryspirits.com. Let us know. All right, Karen, I believe this week was... Your choice, Greg. My choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was. And I have chosen the 1935 film, Karen, Werewolf of London from Universal Studios. Because it's Werewolf Month, right, Karen, on the Scary Spirits podcast this january because it's a wolf moon the full moon is a wolf moon yes on january 17th you'll see the wolf full moon yes and you'll hear lots of wolf howls that night people so go outside and listen but be careful yes you don't know what those howls are are they wolves are they werewolves How are they can just you know? weirdos out there howling <laughs> Could be. I make 17th, you say, Karen? <laughs> January 17th. Yeah, let head me, out. Let me write that down. I'm going to go outside and start howling. 
We do have a cocktail, Karen. Excellent. What is that? Well, it's called the full moon cocktail, Karen. Why is it called the full moon cocktail? <laughs> I don't know, Karen. That's what it's called. <laughs> okay. Just wondering. I found it on makemeacocktail.com. Well, it's very appropriate for the movie. What's yes. in it? So we're going to take a highball glass, first of all, which I think is very important. And we're going to put two shots of coconut rum. Karen, how big were your shots? Well, they were half of the two shots. <laughs> so did you use? Use those math skills, Greg. What did I use? <laughs> Three quarters of an ounce. <laughs> half of two shots. Well. I used one shot. Okay. Well, yeah. So one shot. So what is what did you use as a shot? That's what I'm asking. A shot glass. What is okay. that? I mean, it's either one ounce or one and a half ounce. Like I have one of those jiggers that has. Oh, I think. One oh, and a half you have the Japanese on one, one. Side, Yeah. And I have one ounce on the other side. One ounce. Okay, so I use one and a half ounce, Karen. So <laughs> for each shot. Yes. That's so I have three ounces of coconut rum. <laughs> right. Mm hmm. Three ounces of vodka, because the mm -hmm. recipe calls for two shots of each. And then you top your glass off with some sort of cola, correct? Yes. Yes, in a highball glass, which, like I said, is very important in this recipe, I think. With that much alcohol, yes. Yeah. And then you stir and serve, Karen. With ice? Well, yes. You put two or three ice cubes. I put four in mine, but... I put way more in mine. That's a little bit. That's a I lot of alcohol. too, because I've since added like three and they're already melted. <laughs> that's a lot of alcohol for me. So yeah, it's four shots of alcohol. I just and depending on your size of your shot. But it's tasty. That's fine. I like it. I can't complain. Should we give our listener time to gather their rum, vodka, and cola, Karen? Shouldn't take too long. All right. Hold on. back yes we are all right karen might you have a brief synopsis of werewolf of london from 1935 yeah i think i found a good one this time oh my god i'm excited please are you tell on me the edge of your seat i am on the edge of my seat okay here goes don't keep Wally. me waiting while in Tibet researching a mysterious flower that purportedly takes its strength from the moon, botanist Wilfred Glendon is bitten by a strange creature. Back in London, Glendon becomes absorbed in his research of the plant and is annoyed by the appearance of a fellow scientist, Dr. Yogami, who reveals that the plant is the only known temporary antidote for werewolves. Glendon remains skeptical until the next full moon, when he undergoes a startling transformation. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Told you. Wow, Karen. That's all I, all I have to say. Wow. I'm going to need a minute. <laughs> all right, Karen. Are you ready to get into it? Yes, Greg. Let's do it. <laughs> so, Werewolf of London from 1935, Karen. Do you remember anything from 1935, Karen? 
Nope. Anything you learned in history class, I mean. Not that you were alive in 1935, Karen. Nope. Because you're older than me, but not that much older. <laughs> I'd be looking good if I was from 1935. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So in 1935, Karen, Amelia Earhart becomes the first person to fly solo from Hawaii to California. Excellent. Porky Pig made his debut in Looney Tunes in the comic, I Haven't Got a Hat. So the comic, not, not yes. a okay. cartoon. Cartoon. Okay. The first nighttime Major League Baseball game is played, Karen. Ooh, Any you. idea who that was played? Oh. <laughs> Reds and Yankees. I don't know. The Phillies, Karen, at Crosley Field in Cincinnati. Okay, I got one right. In June, Karen, Alcoholics Anonymous is founded in Akron, Ohio. Fabulous. Imagine that. FDR signs the Social Security Act into law in 1935. And the British-made film Scrooge opens in the U.S. after its British release. With Seymour Hicks as Scrooge. So this is not the one we did earlier. This is a different one with Seymour Hicks, not Alistair Sim. Okay. Elvis Presley is born, Karen, in 1935. You know who Elvis Presley is? <laughs> who he was? Or do you was. think he's still alive? <laughs> no, he gone. And I found this very interesting, Karen. DuPont chemist Wallace Hume... Carruthers creates nylon, the first completely synthetic fabric in 1935. Here come pantyhose. Riveting, I know. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> right, Karen. Would you like to fathom a guess as to what a new house in 1935 may have cost? Depends on where you're living. How big? Average? Average. Average in 1935, I'm thinking is pretty... Probably like a ranch, right? $12,000. $3,850, Karen. I was way off. I would be in a mansion. (laughs) All right, Karen, how much was a gallon of gas? Think back to last week's episode because the price has not changed one cent. I don't remember last week's episode. (laughs) From 35 to 41, the price of gas did not change. 18 cents. Ah, that's what you said last time. I'm going to give Damn it to it, you. See? <laughs> 19 cents. Oh. All right, Karen. Here we go. Are you ready? Well, now that you've deflated me. <laughs> yeah, you've knocked me down. I'm ready. A new car, Karen. A new car. How much was a new car, Karen, in 1935? Well, that could be a lot of things. A new car. Average. 2300 is that what I said last week? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but no. no, it's 4,000 something. No. no. <laughs> $670. Oh my God. I'm thinking there might have been a huge like uptake between 35 and 41 just because of the threat of world war. You know what I mean? Well, obviously I knew none of that. You got the gasoline. Not really, since you told me what it was last week, and I still didn't remember. (laughs) But you remembered what you said last week, Karen. I'm consistently wrong. I should get points for that. All right, Karen, are we ready to get into it? Yeah, I'm really pumped up now. (laughs) All right, here we go. Werewolf of London, 
from 1935, Karen. I watched the Amazon Prime version. Is that what you watch? Yes. So the first thing I see when I started it, it said rated 18 plus. Is that what you saw? Yeah, I noted that. I thought that was strange. And then we have credits. Why do you think it was rated 18 plus? Because it's horrific, Karen. Okay. I don't remember any smoking or foul language. There might have been drink there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was drinking, though. There was, yeah, they did. Have least some, they, there was a lot of drinking. <laughs> allusions to alluding to drinking. No, anyway. there was drinking. Everybody was drinking. But you're right. I don't remember smoking either. Maybe I just didn't notice it. Then we see the globe, Karen, and we zoom in on Tibet because it's labeled. So I know what it is. <laughs> and are they on an expedition, Karen? It seems like there's a bunch of people on an expedition in Tibet. Yeah, I thought it was like a dig site like an archaeologist or something. There is a full moon. Did you notice that? Did not. Yeah, there was a full moon. and I did wonder if they were actually speaking Chinese or whatever, or just like gibberish. (laughs) Yeah, I wondered too. So there's a bunch of locals around and they're conversing with some Englishmen in what they're trying to pull off as their native tongue. But I don't know, obviously, they don't have subtitles or anything. So I don't know if it's real or just made up language yeah actually i think the englishman did a better job of it than the who those are supposed to be locals were but that could just mean that i'm completely a dumbass karen (laughs) no could be don't know but what you get from it is the locals don't want to go somewhere that the englishmen want them to go yes and a man on a camel comes and appears over the ridge and all the locals run away But yes, out of nowhere, a man arrives on a camel. The camel is being led by another person. He doesn't come galloping over the ridge. And we learn that they are looking for a flower. And the man on the camel is a priest. Well, I don't know, because he he the camel comes up and stops, and the priests or I called him a priest because he says Pox will biscum. And he makes the sign of a cross, right? And that's Latin for peace be with you. And if you've been to a catholic latin mass you know that but everyone knows that karen or you took latin for a long time (laughs) but they call him father and he calls them sons so yeah but the quote-unquote priest warns them not to go into the valley to look for this flower this special flower the marafaza lupino lumino (laughs) (laughs) yes karen also known as the moon flower right or something like that yeah it's only blooms in the moonlight only in tibet but the men insist they are going to go look for it and the priest says quote without fools there would be no wisdom unquote karen i thought that was profound so i made it was profound very deep they look the locals say the valley that they will find the flowers is filled with demons yeah i think they thought he was a demon yeah, that's why they ran off. They've never seen a man on a camel before, Karen? I don't know. Well, and then he just leaves and they go about their business. So this guy just appears on a camel and then just disappears on a camel. Yeah, he's you know there to give us backstory, right? I suppose. Is a purpose. So next they go looking for this flower. Glendon and the other guy, right? Dr. Wilford Glendon. 
Yeah, apparently they've been there for six months looking for the flower. So they decide to go into the valley and look for it. And as they're walking into the valley, one guy says his feet can't move. He's being grabbed by something unseen. Yeah, like a supernatural force is trying to keep them from going up and over into the valley. Yes, but he overcomes it. And then we hear wolf howls. And then we see something strikes Wilford Glendon. Yeah, he's struggling too. So they proceed and Glendon comes upon the flower and he begins to dig it up. He leaves his buddy behind. He spies the flower with his binox and he goes down to dig it up. It's a big plant. It's waist high to him. But we see a strange shadow behind him as he is digging it up, Karen. And then he is attacked and bitten by a werewolf, apparently. Yeah, they do have eye contact. They look right at each other. And he stabs him after he's been attacked. But he's bitten on the arm. Then we see his arm reach for the flower and we cut to his laboratory. And we see his arm again reaching for the flower. Apparently he dug it up and brought it to his laboratory. And he's trying to simulate moonlight for the flower. Because apparently this flower only blooms in moonlight. Yes. But why was he looking for this flower? Did they ever say? They did not say. Okay. Just because it's a rarity or something? Maybe. Yeah. He does have quite the garden, so. Yes, he does. He's quite the botanist, Karen. So next we see he has a rotary dial surveillance camera. (laughs) Yeah, a light starts blinking, and then he dials some numbers on the phone. and dials like one number, like zero, like on a rotary Yes. Kids, you don't know what we're talking about, but it's a rotary dial. <laughs> but That's it's your like your mom and dad. <laughs> or your grandparents. <laughs> it's a rotary dial surveillance system, which I think is like crazy and kind of cool at the same time. <laughs> it is cool. It's like a ring doorbell precursor. In 1935. Yeah. I know that they envisioned that you could see someone at the door, which is Coming exactly to your what door. this is. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and he sees this beautiful woman in a hat on yes. a video screen, basically. Yes, his wife, Lisa. Well, he comes out to meet her, and she jokes that he will divorce her and marry his laboratory because he's so you know involved in his work. And he swears that he will be more human, Karen, when these experiments are over. Yeah, he used the old he lost track of time, and he comes out to the garden party, which apparently is his garden But he does joke that he will beat her if she continues to subject him to these meetings, these garden parties. (laughs) But I didn't notice, I'll say now, that throughout this whole film, there's lots of references to moon and fate and whatever. You know what I mean? Animalistic stuff. Yes, there's a lot of animalistic stuff. Absolutely. (laughs) Man and beast shit. And we see a Venus flytrap. And you ever have a Venus flytrap, Karen? No. I did. And next we see Captain Ames, Karen, at this garden party. Is that Paul? Yes. Apparently he's one of Lisa's old boyfriends, who is Lisa's Dr. Glendon's wife. Yeah, she looks sad. She does. She doesn't look very happy until she sees Paul. And she perks right up. 
Yeah, but I did note there's lots of tension between all the people in this scene I was watching. I think it was Lisa and Paul and a couple of the old women, Dr. Glendon. Yeah, and Aunt Eddie. And I can't decide, is she related to Wilfred or is she related to Lisa? Lisa's, Lisa's aunt. Lisa's aunt, okay. Yes. Next, we see Dr. Yugami. <laughs> we do learn that Paul is only in town for a bit because he lives in San Francisco and he has a flight school. Is that what he does? Yeah. I know they said and, he has his own school and they call him Captain Ames, but I didn't really understand what the hell they were talking about. Yeah, that he could get into a plane anytime he wanted to. Okay. But you skipped a part where but they he is a- the nephew of some dude at Scotland Yard, too, which we learn later. Yes. What did so I they, skip, Karen? Where they feed a frog to a plant. Yeah, I didn't think that and was that makes Well, it is because <laughs> I'm going to ask you how many carnivorous plants species do you think there are in the world yeah ah that's a good question while you think on it (laughs) i'll just tell you that a carnivorous plant is any plant especially adapted for capturing and digesting insects and other animals by means of ingenious pitfalls and traps all right karen i'm gonna say four i'm gonna say double what we saw in the film can't be that much if it is I'll be shocked and amazed. Okay. Be ready to be shocked and amazed. There are more than 600 known species of carnivorous plants. (laughs) And they constitute a very diverse group, in some cases having little more in common than their carnivorous habit. I was surprised by that too. No way. But it was from Encyclopedia Britannica. Well, there you go. I would trust that. That's the encyclopedia I grew up on, Karen. I think we all did. It must be true. Well, anyone who grew up with encyclopedias. All right. So Dr. Yugami arrives and meets Dr. Glendon. And he says that they met once in Tibet, but only for a short time. Yeah. He's also a botanist. Did you notice they were standing very close together when they were talking? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that was because... They didn't want anyone else to hear what they were saying, but they were like almost touching stomachs. They were talking so closely together. And Dr. Yugami asked Dr. Glendon if he was successful in finding the wolf flower. That's what I call it, the wolf flower. And Dr. Glendon explains that he has been unsuccessful in getting it to bloom. Do you want to know why moonflowers bloom at night? Oh my God. Yes, Karen. I would love to know. Please tell me. Your eyeball roll before you said that (laughs) gives you away, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So why do moonflowers bloom at night? They do this because night flying insects mostly pollinate them. One such insect is the hawk moth. The flowers are sensitive to small changes in light so that they are open when these insects are out in the evening. And characteristics of the night blooming flowers are they tend to be pale in color to stand out in dim light, which makes sense. So the moths can find them and they have a strong, sweet scent to attract the pollinators. Often open at twilight and close the next morning or afternoon. Do you have any night bloomers in your garden? I don't think so, Karen, but I think that's incredible. They do have a a very strong scent, which would be kind of nice at night, like in the summer, if they were blooming and you had your window open, you could smell them. I thought it was neat. We have had some five o'clocks in our garden, which bloom at night. They, at five o'clock, they start blooming. Yeah. They're called five o'clocks. 
I don't know. I would like to get some. I don't know if we we have the right conditions to grow them, but I'd like. Yes, you do. To Karen. try if and if I see. can grow them, you can grow them. Five o'clock. Well, I mean, there's a whole <laughs> list of flowers that bloom at night, but most of them are pale. But Doctor Yogami wants to see Doctor Glennon's flowers, but he says no, he cannot. And we cut back to Lisa and Captain Ames. I refer to him different ways, either Paul or Ames, and. They talk about their past and whatever. Apparently, like she, he proposed to her at some point. When she was six. That's what they say. I don't believe that shit, though. They reminisce, <laughs> you know. But she tells him that there's been no fight in her since they broke off their relationship, which doesn't bode well for Dr. Glennon, I think. Seems she still carries a torch, and so does he. <sighs> Next, we see Dr. Yogami talking to Dr. Glennon, and he tells him about werewolves. They are satanic creatures, Karen, <laughs> who are neither man nor wolf. Well, he tells him that the flower is an antidote to werewolfery. Yes, and he says he knows of two cases currently in London of werewolves. But and he explains to him that you become a werewolf by bitten by another werewolf. And then Dr. Yogami touches Dr. Glendon's arm where he was bitten earlier yes. in Tibet. I thought that was kind of a nice touch there. No pun intended, but. Next, we're back at the laboratory, Karen. And Dr. Glennon has been able to get his moon vine to bloom under his artificial moonlight. But he has not been able to get the wolf flower to bloom yet. And then surprise, it blooms. <laughs> it does. Yes. With the artificial moon ray. And as Dr. Glendening is reaching his hand into the artificial moonlight, his hand begins to get all hairy, Karen. He grows some fur. And here's where I made a note, Karen, that the audio sounds like a record with a scratch in it. <laughs> You're stealing my metaphors. At regular intervals, there is a... <laughs> like a vinyl record, kids. With a Again, scratch in it. <laughs> ask your grandparents. <laughs> well, vinyl's coming back. It's true, it is. Maybe maybe that's not back enough to have scratches in their vinyl, but if they're buying old vinyl, I'm sure there's scratches in them. Now you know what I'm talking about. So next, Dr. Glendon cuts the bloom from the wolf flower and stabs himself in the hand with it. And his hand turns back to normal. So how do you know how to do that, Karen? Is it because what Dr. Yugami told him? I assume so. But how long has he been back? Has he never been out at nighttime? Don't know. I mean, it just seemed like, well, I guess this has well, to be a full moon. This, I mean, yeah, this one has to be a full moon, which the wolf man that we watched didn't. But so he's been back less than a month, I guess. And then the butler, I guess, comes. Well, we and do tells... see the scars on his arm. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And the butler comes and tells the doctor's assistant. That the doctor's wife, Lisa, would like him to join them for tea. And the doctor's assistant says, no, he will not come. He will not come. Too busy. But the aunt's having a party. Yes, she wants everyone to come. She seems to be pushing Lisa well, and comes. Paul together. Right. Well, next we see Lisa having tea with a couple old ladies who one is her aunt and Paul Ames. And one of the ladies, Lisa's aunt, convinces Lisa to have Mr. Ames bring her to her party that evening. Don't you think she's pushing them together? She is. She's just a 
<laughs> a what? <laughs> a just one of those people who is just like interfere with anything. It doesn't matter. She's going to interfere, period, the end. Well, or I don't know if it's so much interfering or she just wants everybody at her party and it doesn't matter. She's not thinking about anybody but her party. So she's just recruiting people because she even asks Dr. Yugami to come. Yeah, She's met for 30 seconds. But she knows he's single, Karen. (laughs) Apparently. I think that's what she's, she's going for there. Oh, I didn't notice, but. Yes. Yes, Karen. Next, we cut back to the laboratory. And again, the rotary security camera. You should note that Aunt Eddie's dog does bark at Dr. Yugami. Yes, he does. Because he's he's an animal. Next, we cut back to the laboratory. And again, we use the rotary dial security camera. And it's Dr. Yugami coming to see Dr. Glendon. Dr. Yugami asks to see Dr. Glendon and Lisa says he can't see anyone. He's too busy. And then they all leave the house and leave Dr. Yugami standing there. So of course, what does he do? Guess he goes to the laboratory, Karen. Yes, he does. And sees he's, he's seen on the ring doorbell, the 1935 rotary dial ring doorbell. Yes. But Dr. Glendon comes out to meet Dr. Yugami. And I guess Yugami tells him there's a full moon tonight. And he asked for two blooms of the wolf flower or whatever you called it earlier. What did you call it earlier, Karen? The Marifesa Lupino Lumino. Yes, correct. (laughs) Correct Correct-ish. And he tells Dr. Glennon that they are an antidote, not a cure for werewolfism. And they are only good for a few hours. And he warns him that the werewolf seeks to kill the thing that he loves best or it loves best. So does that mean it's going to destroy the lab? (laughs) Because that's what they talked about in the beginning, that he was going to marry his lab because he loved it more than Lisa. But does he? Does he really, Karen? No, he doesn't. (laughs) That's right. So then next we see Dr. Glendon in his study, I said, reading a big ancient book, it looked like. Well, Dr. Yugami leaves. And then do we see someone cut two of the flowers before he's reading the book? Or as he is reading the book, we see somebody steal and cut two blooms from the wolf flower while Dr. Glendon is reading about werewolves. Did you write down any of what he was reading? Did you, Karen? I did. Okay, go on. I did too. Let's see. Well, it's about lycanthropy. What does it say, Karen? You must kill at least one human being each night or you will be permanently afflicted. The essence of the flower must be squeezed through the thorn at the base of the stem onto the wrist. And you become a werewolf between the hours of 9 and 10 p.m. on a full wow, moon night. I didn't see all that. <laughs> well, there you go. What did you write? I wrote, unless this rare flower is used, the werewolf must kill at least one human being each night of the full moon or become permanently afflicted. That's what I wrote. Well, there was a little more. Uh, I must have missed it. <laughs> so next we see Lisa and Paul Ames. There's Captain, a knock at the door. Captain Paul Ames. And it's Lisa and Paul. They're going to the party. And everybody's okay with this. But Lisa tries to get her husband, Dr. Glendon, to come along. But he refuses. Dr. Glendon does kiss Lisa. But she seems pretty unresponsive, <laughs> I wrote. 
she turns on the lights too. And he has like an adverse reaction to light says it hurts his eyes. Yeah. You say put medicine in his eyes. That's his excuse to kind of tell us things are changing in the good doctor here. And he does pretty passionately kiss. Yeah, he does. He grabs her. Like you said, pretty passionately, but she is pretty unresponsive. She doesn't put her arms around him, but he tells her good night. He says, good night, my darling. And she just turns and walks away. Kind of gives him the cold shoulder. I thought this is where I thought there's trouble in paradise, Karen. Yeah. I don't think she's very happy. Next, the doctor goes back to a study and the cat is there. And all of a sudden he don't like the doctor so much. Yeah. He does a good job of hissing at him. That fucking cat's a hell of an actor, Karen. Yeah, another cat <laughs> that's killing it, you know? And the doctor begins to turn and he makes his Why way to the laboratory. The... Yeah. He goes, well, he goes to look for the flower here, I guess. And each time he passes a tree or something that obscures our view, he turns more. I said each time he goes past a pillar, he changes more. I thought that was clever. I did too. Yeah, I thought thought that was good. Yeah, me too. I liked it. You get a werewolf in a tux. But he eventually gets to the laboratory and he finds that the blooms have been cut. They gone. (laughs) Yeah, then there's one last bud, but it hasn't bloomed yet. Hasn't bloomed yet, yet. yeah. So he puts on his coat and hat and a scarf and he decides to go outside. So do you think the plant has three blooms because that's how long the full moon supposedly lasts three nights. If you say so, Karen, I have no idea. (laughs) I just thought it was funny. He put his coat and hat on. (laughs) Well, he wants to disguise himself. I think. Oh, is that it? I just thought he was being a gentleman. No, he wants to disguise himself. Okay. That makes more sense. We should say the werewolf makeup in this film. It's not as werewolfy as the Wolfman, which came out in 1941, right? It's, there's a more human look to him, but you can tell he's he's a wolf, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's just a very hairy. He's got human. the widow's brow and all that shit, and the hairy. widow's peak, yeah. So next we see Lisa's aunt's party, and Lisa, Paul, and Doctor Yugami are all there. Yeah, and Doctor Yugami is looking very non-werewolfy. Yes, I said. Yeah, yes. <laughs> And then we see Dr. Yogami and Lisa's aunt on the balcony. And she and talks about moonlight and fate. Aunt Eddie is very drunk. She's intoxicated. Okay. She is. She acts like she's always that way, though. I thought she was drunk. And we hear wolf howls. And they decide to go back inside. Next, we see Lisa and Paul Ames, Captain Paul Ames taking Lisa's aunt back up to her bedroom. Apparently she's had a little bit too much to drink, I think. Yeah, Lisa's dress is gorgeous. Beautiful dress she's wearing. Very fancy for her aunt's party. She she does look good in that dress, I will say that. And they take the aunt up to the bedroom and they open the window so she can get some air, Karen. Because air is always good. Well, when you're drunk off your ass, air actually is good. Is it? (laughs) Is it, Karen? I'm not sure I would know. I would. <laughs> Next, we see Dr. Glendon climbing up the balcony as a werewolf, of course. And we hear wolf howls. And we see the view of the doctor as he opens the balcony doors and enters Lisa's aunt's bedroom. I really like this scene. Good shadow work. That's so what I wrote. Nice shadow play. And the aunt screams. 
So everyone runs up to her room where all the men folk, except for Lisa, run up. They run up to her room as she is closing the doors. And she says that the devil has been there tonight. She's hysterical. Yeah, and they all think she had a bad dream. And Captain Paul says to his uncle, I guess, the Scotland Yard colonel, I think our host has been mixing her drinks, don't you? Ha, 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 ha. And the uncle says, that is an excellent deduction. <laughs> Next, we see Dr. Glendon in the streets, Karen, lurking in the shadows. And apparently he kills a woman. She gone. Next, we see a newspaper, Karen. Yes. The London Dispatch. And the headline reads, Karen, mysterious goose lane murder. Unidentified girl, horribly mangled. And I made a note that there is an ad in the upper right-hand corner for nut brown ale, Karen. Awesome. Mm, delicious. <laughs> and there's another headline that says, or a sub-headline, I guess, another article that says, Who Poisoned Miss Barograph? And there's another article that says, Fatal, Killed in Plane Crash. I didn't see any of those. <laughs> and another one that reads, 500,000 cotton workers idle. Oh my God, what could have happened? Another article that reads, Princess Missing Millions. I'm very curious about that one. Another one that reads, Threatened Coroner's Wife. And the last one reads on the front page of the newspaper, George T. Blanchard succumbs to heart attack. Oh my God, poor George. He was such poor a good George. man. But the mauling is the headline. Yes. Okay. And the article underneath the headline reads, Karen, do you know what it reads? Nope. <laughs> it says, Karen, with two unsolved murders on their hands, police at Scotland Yard today are working on the theory that the killings have been done by a very prominent man who may turn into a man-eating beast at night. Does it really say that? It does. Huh. Fantastic as this may sound, police say they have been in conference with scientists who declare... There are two men thus afflicted in London. That's what the that's article not, says. That's not what it, how it plays out at Scotland Yard. No, it doesn't. Until right now. We see Dr. Yogami reading the paper in his room. Yeah, he knows. Yeah, and the doctor's maid comes in and notices a dead flower on his desk. And it appears that he has tried to transplant one of the flowers into a smaller pot to try to grow this moonflower. On his own. Mm -hmm. And she picks it up and the doctor tells her to put it down. She sniffs it, <laughs> basically. Yes. Says, I love flowers. Dr. Yugami overreacts, feels bad, and gives her a little money to go buy some flowers. Next, we cut to Scotland Yard, question mark, I wrote. And they are discussing the previous night's crime. They think maybe it was a wolf, they heard. And then Paul Ames, Captain Paul Ames, suggest that it may have been a werewolf. Next, we see Lisa on the telephone, Karen. At breakfast, I think. And she's arranging for a moonlight ride with Captain Paul Ames. Of course, she asked her husband, the doctor, to go with them. And he says he can't. So is this a car ride or a horse yes, ride? A car it's a ride. car ride. Okay. In his convertible, yes. Is there his room for... Fancy pick convertible car. Well, one of them can sit in the back. I don't know. Is there a back seat? Yes. Okay. 
But Lisa is concerned for the doctor. Well, she thinks he's changing. So she says, you're short-tempered with me now. And then he throws Paul in her face. I'm so glad you found someone who's not short-tempered with you. And then he apologizes. As, as you do. <laughs> and says he will go on the ride. Yes, he, and he relents he and agrees yes. to go on the ride with them that evening. Next, we cut to the laboratory, Karen. And the doctor tells his assistant to keep an eye on things that evening while he is gone. Be sure that no more flowers are stolen. Yeah, at this point, I thought maybe he was going on the ride to kill Paul. (laughs) Because he relented and I thought, oh, he's." but then he doesn't love Paul, so he's not going to kill him. But I thought he was setting it up so he could take out Paul. So... Lisa and Paul come to get the doctor and he says he can't go. And then he tries to forbid Lisa from going. Well, that didn't bad, go well. That's a bad idea. I can, <laughs> yeah, I, I could have told him that beforehand. If he did just ask me, I'd have said, no, you don't want to do that. Because <laughs> what's going to happen? <laughs> well, not, she's going and she's going whenever she wants. She will go every, every night, night this week. If she yes, wants. Exactly. <laughs> In the moonlight. He ain't the boss of her. Exactly. <laughs> He does try. Can to you con- imagine what would happen to you if you tried to forbid your lovely wife from doing something? <laughs> well, I would, ne- I would never do such a thing. I'm just saying hypothetically, if yeah. you tried to pull that crap. Right. Can you imagine hypothetically what would happen if she tried to pull that crap? No, I get it. But Same shit I works just, both ways. I'm just saying. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> I'm going to go every night in the moonlight. <laughs> I forbid you. You what? Yes. Like the, the record scratch. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. But he does beg her not to go. Yeah, he, he does. He and then he does try to convince her to come home. If she does go, try to come home before the moon goes up. And yes. she says, oh, hell no. I'm going to be out there as long as I want. Snap, snap. Yeah. <laughs> he pissed her off. It's all over now. Yeah, it's all over now. She's going to do what she wants. <laughs> Next, we see old women in a pub, I think, Karen. Is that correct? Yeah, they're drinking together in a pub that's, I would say, low income pub in a more sketchy part of town. Probably. But the doctor comes in and he's looking for a room to rent. He asked the bartender, is there anyone renting rooms here? And he says, yeah, go in there and see those two old women. But he takes a room for a week. And the old woman shows him to his room. Well, she asked, is it for the night or for the week? He says for the week. So she takes him up after knocking the other woman out because apparently she has rooms too. So she knocks out her competition. Yeah, they're comedy relief, I think. They are. All the old women in this are comedy relief. Even the aunt, Lisa's aunt. Because old women are so funny. He's trying to do right. Is that true, Karen? Are old <laughs> women funny? I don't know. Am I funny? You are. But you're well, not an old woman. I don't know. That depends on perspective. <laughs> He's trying to do right. He's trying to get away from Lisa so that he doesn't hurt her. He gets up to his room and he prays that he won't change. And he says... Keep me away from Lisa. Keep me away from the thing I love, Karen. Does prayer work for him? No, Karen, it does not. (laughs) So he turns 
And he tries to lock the window before he turns, but we hear a wolf howl and then he crashes through the window anyway. Doesn't matter if it's locked or not. He Don't goes matter. through the whole thing. Yeah. He going to do what he going to do. Animal instincts and all that shit, right, Dr. Karen? It appears so. Darwinism and whatever. <laughs> Darwinism is evolution, but I know. Okay. <laughs> but you can throw it out there. I'm throwing it out there. So then the two women, old women, go up to investigate Karen. Well, it was quite the ruckus. Yeah. And again, they're comic relief. I could do without them, actually. They keep beating each other up and looking for keyholes. But he gone, so there's nothing to see. Next, we cut to the London Zoological Garden, Karen. And we see the gatekeeper, and he is letting in a woman who I assume is his mistress. That is correct. The wolves in the zoo are pacing and acting weird because the werewolf has come to the zoological gardens. Yes, the gatekeeper tells his mistress that the wolves have been acting strange. Then we see Glendon, Dr. Glendon, come in and he lets one of the wolves out of his cage. So do you think that's camaraderie because it's a wolf or do you think it's to try to pass suspicion from a werewolf to a wolf. Do you think he's thought it out and released the wolf on purpose? I think he has. Yeah. Thought to it kind out of throw suspicion. Yes, yes, I do. But the wolves acting strange just, just goes back to what I just said. Darwinism. There's, they know there's another wolf in the area and they're like, Oh, well, that probably has to do. Am with I the smell. beta now? Or am I the, is he the <laughs> alpha? Right. Because you know, wolves are pack animals. There's another wolf in town, a large human looking wolf, <laughs> apparently. But we see Glendon in the background as the guard and his mistress sit on a bench and kissy face. Right, Karen? Yes, they do. Yes, even though he's got a wife at home, a oh, pale faced wife. <laughs> he's going to leave her for the new girlfriend. Yeah, as they always do, Karen. But the wolves are acting crazy or something. The guard goes to see why they are acting strange. And then the mistress sees the wolf man, Dr. Glendon, in her mirror as she's touching up her her compact. Yeah. (laughs) It's a compact. She sees him. And she makes a run for it. And she gone. She gone. Serves her right for trying to break up a marriage. There you go. I'm sure that's what they thought in 1935, Karen. Maybe that's why they had her killed off. Yep, I'm sure it was. Next, because wasn't the the first the first lady was kind of was she a lady of the evening or not? Kind of thought so. Yeah, so both of these are more so they can kill morally corrupt women. Yes, (laughs) your favorite kind. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we need more of those, Karen. Or less werewolves around. Whatever. Next, we see the two old women again. And there's a wolf owl, and they think he's back. And they go back and they look through the keyhole in his room that he has rented for the week. And they see him. So he is there. They see him as a werewolf, but they don't go to the police because they've been drinking. They've been drinking, as usual. I think. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Again, but drinking makes older women, they make that's what makes older women funny. They drink a lot and old. Maybe that's why they lived as long they, as they have. They are old and they drink a lot. 
So I must be freaking hilarious. <laughs> Next, we cut back to Scotland Yard. Question mark I wrote. Yep. And they're reading a paper about the incident at the zoo. Next thing I have is Dr. Yogami and his flower is dead. He's used up all his flowers. They go. Dr. Yogami goes to Scotland Yard. And he tells, I think, the colonel. Well, earlier when they met, they think they met before, right? Dr. Yogami and the colonel. At Aunt Eddie's party? Yes. Maybe. Right here, they realize, oh, yeah, we met like seven years ago, whatever. When oh, I'm Dr. Wrong, Yogami then. tried to convince Scotland Yard that there was a werewolf or whatever. Yes. I forgot that part. Yes. He's been there before to try to convince them that there are werewolves in London. But he goes there again and tells them that there is a werewolf in London. He tells them they must seize the flower from Dr. Glendon's laboratory. The wolf flower. Because it's the only known antidote. Yes. But do they believe him, Greg? No, they do not, Karen. But they refuse to seize the flower, Karen. And then we cut back to the laboratory. They Still say no that bloom. It, yeah, yeah, it will be another night before the bud on the plant blooms. I don't know how they know that, but... Because they're scientists, Karen. They know that shit. They've been they're studying, botanists. They've been studying this flower for at least 60 days. No, 30 <sighs> days, right? Okay, Dr. Karen, 30 days. And then we see lots of newspapers, Karen. I couldn't figure out if he's imagining these... Newspaper well, some articles. of them, he, the last one he, I think he's imagining. All the others, I think, are real. Because he Would says you like to know what they say, Karen? Greg, I would love to. What do they okay. say? So the first newspaper is the London Era. The headline says, girl murdered at zoo. Police are baffled. Scotland Yard helpless in search for killer. Then the next paper, the Evening Courier. Headline reads, Police seek strange beast, legendary wolf now believed roaming London streets. Next paper, the Evening Courier again. Apparently there's multiple releases of the Evening Courier, Karen. And it says, werewolf murderer at bay. Police closing in on strange creatures said to be the moonlight killer. Next paper, Karen, the London Dispatch. Mrs. Wilfred Glendon killed by monster. And this is the one I think is the one he's imagining. Police seek mysterious murderer of famous doctor's wife. So that hasn't happened yet. No, it hasn't. Aaron. That is the last paper we see. And then Dr. Glendon tells the, his assistant that he hasn't been there and he must go away immediately. He can't stay there with the stubborn flower. So Dr. Glendon goes to his wife's parents' estate, and Mr. Timothy meets him there. Apparently, he's the caretaker. That's what it seemed like, yeah. And he tells him he does not want anyone to know that he is there. He wants to get away from his laboratory. He says he is going to spend the night in the monk's rest. Is that what he says? Monk's thought, rest? Monk's rest tower? I don't know. But oh, yeah, no. he wants to be locked in that room until dawn. Yeah, there's nothing in that room. There's no bed. There's no nothing. It's almost like a dungeon, but. Bars on the window. Yeah. And he has Timothy lock him in. Next, we see Captain Paul Ames, Karen. 
I should say, Captain Paul Ames <laughs> and Lisa. Of course, they go to the same place. Yes, and they're going back to her parents' house that night because they grew up together and they want to reminisce, Karen. They do. They reminisce. About how they grew up together and here's where you playing in the to yard me, there. And, and here's where, you know. And what whatever. does Paul do? He professes his love for Lisa, Karen. So the woman who's at the Zoological Society, the zoo, professes her love for a married man and gets whacked. But it's okay for Paul to declare his love for Lisa, even though she's a married woman. Everybody thinks he's the hero. Theirs is an older love, Karen. They've been in love since they were children. So it's not a double standard. It's just an older love. Gotcha. Because Paul sees that Lisa is unhappy. He could be the best thing for her, Karen. (laughs) He could. We don't know anything about the zoological watchman and his marriage. And we don't know. We don't know about this one, obviously. Well, we know a lot more about this one than do that one. Wilfred loves Lisa. He does, but he's about to try to kill her. Uh, he, you know, he's he's a scientist. What she, he, he loves, he loves her the his most in more. all the world. He loves his work more, though. It's pretty evident, I would say. You're just making excuses. <laughs> Whatever. Go ahead. I'm just pointing out. I'm a making standard. excuses for Dr. Glenford. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, because there's a double standard. That's all I'm saying. I don't think I am. I think I'm agreeing with you, but you don't see it. <laughs> that happens a lot. Okay. Then we see Dr. Glendon and he turns in his monk's rest, whatever the hell that is. And then we see Captain Paul Ames <laughs> pressing Lisa about his love for her. Yeah, she does rebuff him a little bit. So. She does. Yeah, I don't have any quarrels with Lisa. She doesn't say... No. She just says, even if she has feelings, it doesn't matter because right. Lisa's okay with me. So, but Dr. Glendon sees them through the window with bars and he tears open the bars on the window. He jumps down and he begins stalking Lisa because Lisa and Paul race to the monk's tower where Wilford is and she wins. So she's there alone for a Well, few... he gives her a head start. Well, okay, yes. <laughs> but I just want to clarify that she's there alone for a few seconds. She is. And that's when Wolford jumps down from the, very yeah. gracefully from the high window. Yeah, and he begins stalking her and then he attacks her. He does. And then she screams. And then Captain Paul Ames arrives and they fight. And eventually... Captain Paul Ames knocks him unconscious with a stick or something mm-hmm. and carries Lisa away. Carries her away, Karen. Sweeps her off her feet. Yes. Come back to Scotland Yard. And Captain Paul Ames is telling his uncle that it was Dr. Glendon he saw and fought with that looked like a wolf. Yeah, he's insistent. Yes. And the colonel who was. Captain Paul Ames, uncle, agrees to go to Glendon Manor. But, but then, before they can go. But then, Karen, what happens? Somebody else is dead. Yeah. There's news of another murder from the previous night, which happened like 150 miles away from where 
Dr. Glennon was. Apparently a chambermaid at a hotel was found dead. Is that where Dr. Yugami is? Yes, Karen. That is exactly where Dr. Yugami was. But they go to investigate and they it's Dr. Yugami's room and there's a chambermaid and she gone. But the flowers are there. Yes, the dead flowers. The, the used flowers, yes. They're all dead. So they go to Glendon Manor, and the doctor's not there. And they learn that he was not there the previous night. And then there's lots of phone calls, Karen, especially for 1935. Right. There's a montage <laughs> of everybody phoning everybody, looking for these guys. No trace of Dr. Glendon, I wrote. Come back to the laboratory, and there's knocking, and Dr. Glendon comes up through the floor in a trapdoor. <laughs> His that was assistant lets him, lets him in. So he t- there's a secret tunnel, I guess. I guess. And they check to see if the flower has bloomed yet. It has not. But we see Dr. Yugami in the background. He is snuck in as well, Karen. And as Dr. Glendon is on the other side of the room, Dr. Yugami comes in and clips the flower and pierces himself with it. It starts to bloom and Dr. Glennon goes to wash his hands or something and Yugami is behind him and snips the flower while his back is turned yes, and, and steals the essence. And then the two men struggle, Karen. Yeah, they trash the lab. Lots of broken glass. Lots of scuttling around. Uh, Lisa and her aunt hear the commotion from her room. The two doctors fight in the laboratory, and eventually Dr. Glendon turns, Karen. That's not good for Yugami. We hear wolves howl, and I guess Lisa and her aunt pick up the telephone and call for the colonel. And they are told that the colonel and Captain Paul Ames are on their way. That isn't that convenient. <laughs> but then Dr. Glendon climbs up into Lisa's room from the outside through the terrace balcony but then he climbs out a window and jumps onto the roof above like the front door or whatever just like we would when we snuck out of the house karen (laughs) well you i didn't have a second story i didn't either but he jumps out and he fights with captain paul ames yeah he jumps on him (laughs) it's pretty funny yes and then he tries to get into the house to get to lisa but the front door is locked. But Karen, he breaks through the glass and opens the door and lets himself in and goes after Lisa because he must kill the thing he loves the most. Correct? Yes. If nothing else is proofs, he loves Lisa. Yes. But she tries to talk to him. She does. She tries to talk to him. That's what I have. Says, don't you know me? Wilfred, don't you know me? And then there's a gunshot. Wow. <laughs> Just a single shot. <laughs> and Dr. Glendon falls down the stairs. And as he's lying at the foot of the stairs, Karen, he says, Thanks for the bullet. It was the only way. And then he apologizes to Lisa. He is sorry he couldn't make her happier. Yeah, he says goodbye to her. And then he goes. But Lisa doesn't seem too upset, I wrote. (laughs) 
he transforms back. She's not fanatical or anything like, oh my God, my husband, oh my God. No, well, you'd think she'd be more upset there. about all of it. She just saw her husband as a werewolf and then get killed. <laughs> and she just stands there. Blank faced, yeah. Maybe she's in shock. And then as he dies, Dr. Glendon transforms back to his normal self. And then the colonel says, in my report, I will say that I shot Glendon by accident while he was trying to protect his wife. Then we cut to a plane flying in the sky, Karen. The end. <laughs> Credits. And it says, a good cast is worth repeating. So is the plane supposed to be Paul and Lisa flying away? He is an airplane pilot. I don't know. It was a I weird scene. I kind of assumed it had something to do with that, but I do not know. Otherwise, what was the whole point of having him there? Do not know, Karen. Well, that's my ending. Yeah, that Paul and Lisa are flying to San Francisco. Yes. City by the Bay. It is a beautiful city. Yeah. When the lights go down in the city, Karen. Yep. And the sun shines on the bay. All right, Karen. Anything you really liked in this film or were pleasantly surprised by? Well, about the movie, not necessarily, but I did love the clothes, like I always do in these old movies. It was released in 35. You think that was the time period when it occurred? Because they were on telephones and shit. Kind of looked like it. Yeah, I would agree. I thought Lisa's wardrobe was fantastic. Yeah, it's all right. It was, yeah, the wardrobe. You don't was have fine. to wear it. I'm just saying the wardrobe was fine. Yes, yeah. I would agree. I thought the garden that they had was very impressive. Also, yes, I agree. It was pretty. They didn't just throw some plants. You know, they made it look like this guy is a botanist and collects rare plants. I, I agree. I, I like that too. Greed. Is it all you really liked about this film? What about Pretty the makeup? Much. What about the Wolfman makeup, Karen? Well, why don't you come? Greg, what did you like about the movie? <laughs> I really like this film. I like it better than the 41 Wolfman. I did too. Okay, good. I know we talked about in the last episode how the 41 Wolfman, which we did last week, they originally wanted to use in this film, but they the makeup. Yeah. at this point, they thought, that we should still see a lot of the human characteristics of the character. And I like it. I thought the transformation scenes in this film were better than in the Wolfman. All of them. There were more of them, right? There were. And I thought they did a better job too. Didn't we just see his feet last week? Yeah. Transform. At one point, I mean, he, yeah. had, he had heavy makeup where he looked, I don't know, scarier maybe, but this film did have still decent makeup, but it made it more man-wolf than wolf-man, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. This film's transformation scenes were much better than the wolf-man from 1941. You know, the quote-unquote, Karen, as you say, the original. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess- This that one was, is better. <laughs> that was my mistake. That one was not the original. But it was well, that's from, what people think, though, I, because it was much more popular than this one. Right. From start to finish, this one was better, I think. 
this guy there was no peeping in this film was there karen i don't think except peeping on a flower he, he did take his binoculars out to look for a flower and that was about it yeah it had a little more backstory in some ways there are big holes in it but you know in this one it did i guess he was only looking for the flower because he has an extensive collection but it, it didn't really let you know why he was looking for the flower and why there are werewolves in Tibet. Yeah, he had and... no reason to look for it until, you know, before he was bitten. But he got bitten while he was looking for it. Right, but I think he was just looking for it because it was a plant to add to his collection. Yes. It's yes. something that no one else would have. Yes, it was Dr. unique. Yes, yes, Dr. Karen. He was just looking for it to add to his collection. Well, it was a moonflower. It only blooms in moonlight and he was a research scientist he was trying to recreate that in the lab i don't know what's so special about moonlight i mean it's just sunlight what, what, what was the latin name karen i know there was lichen in there somewhere marifesa oh lupino lumino you're right what's... lupino lupine lupine means wolf okay yeah i was gonna say there's wolf in there somewhere you're right i was wrong Again. No, not again. Just this time. I feel like I'm rarely right. <laughs> I think that's a made-up name. I couldn't find it. The only thing I found was it would refer back to the movie. Do you think it's scientifically correct or no? It sounds scientifically correct, but what the fuck do I know, Dr. Karen? It, it looks like <laughs> someone tried to make it sound scientifically correct. So I think saying, I read somewhere they changed the name of it. Each person who said it said it differently in the movie <laughs> and they just left it. So you're saying no. I'm not a botanist, so I, I couldn't tell you. Oh my God. Well, I don't know how they name their plans. <laughs> I, I, but the Latin, does the Latin make sense to you, Dr. Karen? Well, Lupino. I don't know shit mean, about Latin. So. Lupino would mean. I got that wolf. I get that. And lumino would mean luminescence so yeah. it glows but i did mention phosphorus at night yeah that's another yeah they said Later. phosphorescence that's yeah. yeah that means glow too Meriphasa could mean flower i don't know i don't remember okay we're going with yeah that shit is right on point <laughs> okay <laughs> i don't know when you have two shots in a cola i can't remember my latin all right Anything you didn't like about this film, Karen? Anything that appalled you? You were well, very disappointed appalling, in? But looking back, if they made up a language, that was a little inappropriate in today's age. It was only like a minute, but... But still, I'm just saying. I know. Disrespectful. I kind of like the character in The Monster Walks. Looking back, you know, it's just, it's not cool. <laughs> But well, they didn't know that in 1935, Karen. They probably did. No, they didn't. So I would say that that was a little off-putting. But otherwise, I mean, think about it. 1935, Karen. What happened in 1941, Karen? It's true. Didn't we go to war with Japanese and Chinese and everyone? But go on. Well, it's not cool now. Let's just say that. So, but otherwise, I don't think i was really just i like the makeup i like the story so i didn't yeah i like the makeup even though it wasn't like totally like wolfish i'll go with the double standard of the 
woman at the zoo who got killed for presumably breaking up a marriage. But you when mean the Paul whore, tries Karen, to, the whore, yeah, at the and, zoo. When, <laughs> and when Paul tries to break up a marriage, he's the hero. So I'll go with that <laughs> as my disappointment. Okay. But okay, I get that. What about you? No, I don't think I can't think of any no, disappointing good. things. Yeah, I thought it was good. Let me think for a minute. I do agree that the woman were kind of, like you said, the mistress at the gate was judged. <laughs> yeah. And she kind of sounded stupid too, the way she talked. <laughs> Just like the woman that he killed in the streets, who we think probably was a prostitute. Well, pretty women can't be smart. That's just crazy talk. I think Lisa was smart. Her aunt was smart. But all she really, all she did was whine that he never spent time with her. So, but she stood up for herself when he forbid her. That was probably, that was one of my favorite scenes because you could just hear it. (laughs) Karen, I was watching that and I'm like, oh, I've been there. I've been here before. (laughs) This sounds very familiar to me. (laughs) What, that you tried to forbid somebody from doing something? Apparently I did. I don't know. But it sounded very familiar to me. (laughs) The reaction is the same (laughs) from 1935 on. All right, Karen. What kind of cocktail rating are we giving this film? Well, if we gave the Wolfman a three, this probably deserves a two. I agree. This is better. Yeah. This is better. Even though it is lesser known, Karen. I think people should watch it. I, I agree. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad we did a comparison because. I so you're the, saying, you know, so, so you're saying you're glad I picked, I picked this film, Karen, are you yes. saying I'm glad I picked this film for you to yes, watch? Greg, you were so smart in picking this movie <laughs> that I just can't thank you enough. I mean, oh, Karen, you're quite you're a fucking genius. Oh, Karen, you're quite welcome. <laughs> I think people should watch this and watch The Wolfman because it The Wolfman is much more popular, but I think a lot of people will like this one better. Oh, this one is better. Yeah, well, we think so, but, you know, who knows? All right, Karen, I don't think we can talk about this film without at least mentioning or discussing the Warren Zevon song, Werewolves of London. When did that come out? Shouldn't so that came out in 1978, but he wrote it while watching this film. Oh, really? He did. Interesting. It was kind of a joke that he and um, Phil Everly from the Everly Brothers were um, you know, conversing back and forth that you, know, you should make a dance song about this film or whatever. So they were high. <laughs> maybe (laughs) because who would watch this movie and think it's got a beat you can dance to it (laughs) they may have i don't know maybe it was the howls the howls were good and he wrote the song and wrote it in about 15 minutes warren zevon wrote it and other people like performed it more he did but he was i guess he was the first one to put it on vinyl as they say karen back in the day on his second solo album, Excitable Boy, which I only know because my aunt had it. Yeah, you're way too young for that. Yeah, 78. And you might have uh, had some records by 78. Oh, yeah, I had lots of records by then. Yeah. <laughs> but it features Fleetwood Mac's 
Mick Fleetwood and John McVie on the recording. Mick Fleetwood plays drums and John McVie plays bass on Warren Zevon's Werewolves of London, Karen. Great trivia, Greg. Yes. So he wrote it while watching this, but it doesn't really reference a lot in the film, which is disappointing, I think. <laughs> so, so Warren Zevon has said it was kind of a novelty song. Period. Like a Weird Al precursor? <laughs> Kinda. Well, he said he would have preferred that it was like Bridge of a Troubled Water, but it wasn't. It's not. <laughs> and he doesn't hate it, but he's not thrilled with it either, but it's probably his biggest fucking hit. So, well, I know it is. Karen, what's your favorite Warren Zevon song? <laughs> <laughs> it's the only one I think I know. Right. Well, he died pretty young, I think. Not long after this, apparently. It's the only one I know. If you said, if someone came up to me and said, your favorite Warren Zevon song, this is what I would say. Right? Absolutely. Okay. Anything you care to add, Dr. Karen? (laughs) (laughs) Not about Warren Zevon. Okay. I thought it was important that we mention that anyway. All right, Dr. Karen, (laughs) comments on our drink. I thought it was delicious. So the the full moon moon. cocktail, right? Yes. Delicious? Yeah, I like the way I made it, but again, mine was a bit watered down. I'm still drinking mine. I have like one drink left, maybe. A sip. It's pretty good. I've added ice to it as we've been talking, though. All right, Karen, anything we learned today? We learned that I don't know a lot that happened in 1935. Yes. We learned how many carnivorous plant species are there? Oh, my God. 600? Is that what you said? Over 600, yes. We learned that moon flowers (laughs) bloom at night to attract the moths, so they're pale colored and smell sweet. We learned that you had a Venus flytrap. I did. Named Sebastian. We, were, we learned an awful lot about Ward Zevon that won't be included. All right, Karen. I think the next week's episode is your choice. Is that correct or not? It is. All right, Karen. What are we watching next week? We're going to watch uh, Frankenstein meets Wolfman, 1943. Okay. Do you have a drink? I do. Go on. You're going to need gin. Gin. I have that. And tonic. I have that. I'll let you guess what we're going to (laughs) make. I I was going to ask Karen, any reason you chose gin and tonic or this film for that matter? Well, yeah, they're both uh, the gin and tonic is my mom's favorite drink. And she passed away in January quite a few years ago. Okay. But these are the types of films she loved. That's her favorite drink. And one of the reasons that I'm doing this podcast is because she loved these movies. So I'm re-watching movies that she would have watched some of the times. But it's one of the main reasons I st- wanted to do this with you. We're going to do a salute to my mom. I probably would have liked your mom. I you like your dad. I probably you would have liked, liked mom. my mom. My mom was fun. <laughs> All right, Karen, anyone you need to thank? 
Well, I was thinking in lieu of thanking someone, I'm going to. That always scares me when you start that way. No, since we're doing wolves this month or wolf yes. werewolves, I'm just going to let everybody know that I have a very good friend who runs a wolf sanctuary in Rising Sun, Indiana called the Red Wolf Sanctuary. And if you're interested in finding out more about wolves and other animals that are native to the area of Indiana, you can go to redwolf.org. Schedule a tour. They have wolves, foxes, coyotes, and raptors. It's a cool place to visit. And lots of facts on the website. So if you want to learn about it, head over there, redwolf.org. And I have to say, they're not just like animals native to this area, right? So well, wolves have, are not. Other, the other animals they generally They have bears. Are. They have black bears. Tell people where they get their animals, Karen. Because I have get, been there. It's a cool place. It is a cool place. They get most of their animals from people who think that wild animals would make great pets. <laughs> so they have black bears who come they from drug dealers. Yes. And other animals. They have Lots foxes. Foxes that come from fur farms and people rescue them as kits. But foxes are odiferous. <laughs> they have a very musky smell once they hit adulthood or puberty so they're going to stink you out of the house very musky that's when they usually get them when they're adolescent because they're adorable mm, but musky yeah they have a couple of bobcats that were kept as pets or one was sprayed with a by a skunk and was blinded and once the animals are used to human interaction they can't be released back into the wild they have a lot of injured raptors too. Eagles. They have a couple eagles. They have eagles nesting there, right? Oh, they do. Yes. In the wild. Yes. In the wild. Yes. Yes. They have a because couple. Because they throw like deer carcasses out because people donate. Road, road kill. kill. Yes. Yes. Or <laughs> yes. That's how they feed a lot of the animals is with roadkill. Yeah. So there are eagle nests there and there are eagles there on the premises and they have a large area. Indiana. Redwolf.org. Right by the casinos. True. <laughs> but a fountain of information about wolves if you're so inclined. Yes. And I'll thank still all our listeners. Thank you very much. There are a lot of podcasts out there. We appreciate when you choose us. 92, of course, thank verse 13. All the music on the Scary Spirits podcast is provided by verse 13. They rock. Yes. I would also like to thank DC Rooster on YouTube for commenting on our video and appreciating how I cleared up the, the Blackberry incident. <laughs> incident. <laughs> Thanks, DC Rooster. <laughs> yes, thank you for listening and noticing that I'm a dumbass. <laughs> Something was amiss. That's awesome. I think it's great. I do too. <laughs> Someone wouldn't notice that. That's great. All right, Karen, anything else? Please drink responsibly. Yes. Thanks so much for listening. Want to keep in touch? Check out our website, scaryspirits.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Scary Spirits Podcast. Find us on YouTube at Scary Spirits Podcast. 
If you have questions or comments, you can email us at info at scaryspirits.com. To help us grow the podcast, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You know, we really do appreciate your support. And as always, please drink responsibly. Thank you.